This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Welcome to Primal Screen, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. I am your host, petrifying Paul Anthony Nelson, and in the virtual studio, I'm joined once more by Spooky Sally Christie. Hello, Hello Paul. And Freaky Flick Ford. <laughs> I think I was called that in high school. Good <laughs> <laughs> name to have. <laughs> Uh, thank you both for joining us. Now, as Melbourne trudged slowly toward that crucial third step of coronavirus battling social restrictions, we here at Primal Screen have been bringing you our weekly ISO specials, spotlighting fantastic films from various eras, genres, and nations that you, yes, you, dear listener, uh, can stream or rent in your very own homes. As it's the month of October, we've decided to shine our spotlight upon Halloween, but in a different way. Uh, we're looking at films, uh, Halloween without horror, which is odd for us. Uh, we're looking at three films set amongst the Halloween season that aren't horror movies. Um, first, we'll reaffirm our commitment to sparkle motion with Richard Kelly's 2001 debut, Donnie Darko. Then we'll sweep the leg in John G. Avildsen's 1984 classic, The Karate Kid. And finally, we'll make Fetch happen with Mark Waters' 2004 <laughs> high school comedy, Mean Girls. Also, as you listen to us chatting about these films, uh, please feel free to hit us up on our social media channels and leave a comment. Just search for Primal Screen on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And now it is time for the Primal Screen News Bulletin for the week. As the cinema industry looks to what lies ahead in a post-COVID normal world, Palace Cinemas have called their first ambitious shot, announcing that their long-rumoured 15-screen multiplex on the old uh, on the Pentridge estate in, Ho- in Coburg, former home to the Pentridge prison, will be opening to the public in December with a slate of new films. Of course, with the US's COVID situation in disarray and movie, sh- movie dates being pushed back to mid-2021, what those new films will be is currently up in the air. No fixed date has been set for the opening, but Palace do aim to open the new Pentridge Cinema site in mid-December 2020 with safety measures such as checkerboard seating allocation, allowing friends and family to sit together in groups of two whilst being physically distanced from other cinema goers, staggered secession times to avoid congestion in foyers, hand sanitizer stations at cinema entrances and points of sale, contactless payment and requesting where possible to book online or over the phone, all in place to keep cinemas prote- uh, cinema goers protected. Speaking of which, uh, as Melbourne cinemas do continue to be locked down in the meantime, two local film festivals are gearing up for their first ever digital editions. The Indian Film Festival of Melbourne will screen 60 films in 17 languages, including 34 international premieres and 56 Australian premieres from October 23rd to the 30th. 
And Coffia, the Korean Film Festival of Australia, will screen 18 new feature films from the 29th of October to the 5th of November, as well as partnering with SBS On Demand for a Korean Film Festival Presents selection of retrospective hits from the festival, screening on the SBS On Demand platform from November 1st to the 8th. So from the uh, October 23rd, just search for the Indian Film Festival of Melbourne online and it'll lead you to their site. And as of uh, Oct- October 29th, uh, search for Kofia, K-O-F-F-I-A, which stands for the Korean Film Festival in Australia, uh, online to find their site. Okay. Now, listeners, please join us on the couch for our first film of the evening. Why are you wearing that stupid bunny suit? Why are you wearing that stupid man suit? Donnie Darko from 2001 was the debut feature film written and directed by Richard Kelly. As the 1988 presidential election develops, troubled teenager Donnie, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, sleepwalks out of his house one night and sees a giant demonic-looking rabbit named Frank who tells him the world will end in 28 days, 6 hours, 42 minutes, and 12 seconds. He returns home the next morning to find that a jet engine has crashed through his bedroom. As he tries to figure out why he survived and tries to deal with people in his town, like the school bully, his conservative health teacher, and a self-help guru, uh, Frank continues to turn up in Donnie Darko's mind, causing him to commit acts of vandalism and worse. Um, Flick, yeah, your, your thoughts on Donnie Darko? Well- <laughs> I feel like, um, look, the, all the films that we're talking about on um, tonight's show are, yes, yeah, so formative for my in my teenage years. So I feel like, um, and, t- and childhood. Um, and I think that this one for me was just like, I was really obsessed with it. I was like total film nerd film where it's just like, I got really into it as a teenager and I had a huge crush on Jake Gyllenhaal. You know, it's kind of interesting going back to it. And I remember the soundtrack, I was obsessed with the soundtrack and getting so into those songs. But it's weird because I'm revisiting it, I'm not sure that I loved it in quite the same way as I did before. And I think that um, I found it really, you know, when I was younger, I feel like I watched it and I was like, this is so clever and there's so many like, oh, this is, you know, the cellar door line and all of this philosophy to it. And then as an adult, I think I was looking at it and felt a little bit of cringe. Um, so, um, yeah, it was just like a little bit awkward in some ways um, going back to it. Having said that, there is um, some really amazing performances. I think that um, the fact that they had Maggie Gyllenhaal in it playing his, you know, she's his real life sister. I think there's like a real naturalism there, of course. Um, Patrick Swayze is fantastic. Yeah. I love him as this like creepy, like hyper um, sincere, sincere kind of um, uh you know, life coach. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I think that um, I think that all of those characters are so strong. I did have some issues with it. So kind of revisiting it, I was thinking about the fact, and maybe this is just like um, because it was so, so much a part of my teenage years and like I really worshipped this film and really picked it apart and watched it so many times. In fact, re-watching it, I could still remember every single line in it. It was really bizarre. Like before the lines would happen, I'm like, yeah, I know what's going to happen and what's going to be said. Um, but I was re-watching it and it kind of, I feel like um, Johnny's character really kind of explains 
an entire decade of like dating mistakes that I made. Like <laughs> I feel like he actually is a bit of a drag. And um, even when he's doing, when he's being heroic in moments, he's kind of doing the bare minimum. Like there's this scene <laughs> in which he like defends um, the one character of colour, who's Charita Chen, um, played by uh, Jolene Purdy, who's actually a Japanese American, and she's being bullied. And the, the, his friends are like, "Go back to China," and he says something like, he just mumbles something like, "Oh, leave her alone." which just feels like the lowest hurdle to jump. And I feel like her character, I did read an article today that was kind of like justice for Charita and I definitely <laughs> felt on board with that because I feel like her character just doesn't necessarily get to go anywhere with that. And not that all characters have to, but I think that when it's like the one character of colour. So it was just something that stood out to me re-watching it. Um, and there's like the dance sequence, which is kind of the opportunity is just sort of like to laugh at her. Having said that, um, I feel like there's just this film is so iconic. Like there's so many scenes in it where you're like, oh, wow, this is so memeable now and it's so much um, tied to my um, very like punky self that I feel like I, I can't hate it at, at, at all, but I just I cringed maybe a bit too much than I was um, felt comfortable with. Really? No, I don't, think, I don't think it has that cringe factor at all for me. I, I think for me this is the an exploration of suburbia that is in line. It's not as as amazing as Blue Velvet, but it's in, in there with Blue Velvet. Even that opening sequence for me is really reminds me of that opening sequence of Blue Velvet, that kind of really slow-mo that we have coming through there. But um yeah, I, I really I really like it for this it, the impending sense of doom that goes throughout the entire film. Um, and this really sort of deep sadness that I, I feel that is there every single time that I watch it. It's, you know, I've, I've seen it a lot of times as well, Flick. But, um, yeah, I, I really love Donnie Darko. I think, yeah, it's a really beautiful film. It's definitely, you can tell that it's an early filmmaker's first film and it's trying to be clever and it's trying to be profound and perhaps in moments it doesn't hit those marks. But, yeah, I think it's an absolutely gorgeous film. Yeah, I. It's funny. I'm a little of column A, a little of column B. I um with you two. So this is obviously. I mean, when it came out in 2001, I'm a little older than you guys. Like, I feel like Cell, you were the target demographic for this movie. It's this photo. I have to show you guys because it's it's yeah. just there in um in all my 2001 goth gear in front of a Bonnie Darko poster, and I was. <laughs> the target audience for this. <laughs> we, we should set up like a, a new level of subscribers where you get this like secret content. And, yeah, I totally sign up for that. Emba- embarrassing teenage movie photos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so this was, yeah, this is so, even at the time, like, yeah, a little bit older, I'm not so much the target, but it was ferociously original and individual when it came out in 2001. I, I think I saw it at MIF 2002 when it premiered here. Um it spoke, I feel like it spoke to a very 1990s sort of skewering of middle suburban hypocrisy, a healthy distrust for authority, pop cultural metatextuality between the 80s soundtrack and lots of pop culture references and lots of just references in general. Like the film is layered with with clues and, and rabbit holes that people can kind of dig, dig down and find something in. Um, it's, uh, you know, and also a very 1990s, uh, yen for mopey medicated leading characters who are able to see through the fabric to hold society together and all going well tear them asunder to disturb the status quo i think today it, it still endures as something it's smart and stylish inspired i think it's always i think although it is kind of very 
mopey. I think it's also I think people forget how funny this film is. Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of there's a lot of moments that have become memes in the two decades past, you know. The, and and I think yeah, I think there's a lot of humor in this film. Um and it's and it does succeed as kind of a metaphorical multi-genre mashup nightmare ride through a teenager's struggles with mental illness. I think that's kind of what the film seems to be about in, in terms of, of certainly of an emotional or metaphorical sense outside of all the multiple dimensions, universes, Richard <laughs> Kelly nonsense that's happening in the background. Um, even if partly due and partly, I think partly the film is a bit of a victim of its own success and influence, you know, because I think like you flick coming to it now, I saw a lot of its, I saw its precious precocity. It's kind of relentless emo mood and this, and because I think we live in an age of unceasing conspiracy nonsense at the moment, that some of its impact has kind of blunted a bit, but I think still, even though it's been so influential, there's been nothing quite like this film before or since. Mm. I was actually, yeah, Hmm. sorry, Paul. I was going to say, is it one, I'm not sure if this is true, but is it one of the first films in kind of the 2000s to have that 80s nostalgia? Like I feel like it kind of brought back that whole thing and that's pretty iconic. Like Stranger Things wouldn't have existed without Donnie Darko. Yeah, Yeah. Kelly actually fought to have it set in 88 because he couldn't Mm. imagine writing it for a modern time because he was... Richard Kelly and I are the same age and he sort of was writing this sort of um, this period that, you know, it's like, I'm, I can't write new teenagers. I don't speak like that. I don't know what they do. This is for when I was growing up and when for I was a teenager and when this was sort of happening for me and all the music I used to listen to and what school was like. So yeah, he really fought to have it set in 88. Um, um, apparently. Um, and Oh, sorry. And it was because at the time too, um, a lot of, as you said, Flick, a lot of films weren't set in the 80s, mm. which which to now seems bizarre. Now we're going to yeah. get a whole lot of movies. We'll get in 90s nostalgia. <laughs> <laughs> that will make that will make me feel so old. I think like, 90s nostalgia is too soon. <laughs> but um, I was thinking I did hear that Patrick Swayze actually just wore his own clothes from the 80s. <laughs> from the 80s. Yeah, how wonderful. <laughs> He's terri- I I also you know who I really love in this film Catherine Ross. Oh, she's great. Who plays his psychiatrist? I mm. yeah, I think she's fantastic. Well, another thing that I really, really like about this because this does follow sort of all those tropes of you know teen films with um you know the stupid teachers and the kids knowing better and all this kind of stuff. But one thing that really stood out to me, kind of rewatching this, was that you know it, it is a film about mental health, and Donnie Darko is really loved by his parents. Yeah, and he has this um you know good psychiatrist, and there is this 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 really this this want to help him by the older mm. people in his life which you know we kind of don't see a lot in these sort of other teen films yeah yeah exactly um also didn't expect psychotic seth rogan to show up oh i know yeah. that's his, seth rogan and that's his like <laughs> first, that's his debut screen performance and his like opening line i think is something like i like your boobs or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 so far he's come <laughs> yeah set the tone for the career to come yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I like, yeah, I think it's, I think anyone that, like, I think anyone that dismisses this film out of hand is missing a trick. I think there's so much going on and it's so, it's, it's so interesting. And yes, it is very first young, first time filmmaker precocious. 
-hmm. and like i'm gonna come up with this multi-layered thing and people are going to be picking apart for years like it's tailor-made to be a cult film but i think that sort of stuff genuinely interests richard kelly like yeah yeah southland tales are the same sort of have either of you watched um the director's cut of donnie darko no i actually got advised not to watch it yeah it's awful (laughs) Like, like I, I am a fan of the movie. I love it. And the director's cut is, yeah, it's I think probably, you know, one of the few director's cuts that I've seen where it's just awful. Now, is it is it because it it's, it really sort of sets things out, makes things really obvious and kind does, of tries to explain what the film is? So it does that in a really explicit way with text coming up on the screen, actually kind of doing that. Uh, the, the soundtrack is also different. So oh, the soundtrack yeah. is so mm. iconic, though. Yeah, it's a great soundtrack. So rather than opening with um, the Killing Moon, it opens with In Excess, Never Tear Us Apart. Oh, okay. Things like this are changed up, and it just doesn't have the same flow. It's it's very interesting. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and- I feel like sometimes that you know, there's that whole idea of like you just sometimes need a really good editor. Yes, <laughs> you, know, you might have lots of great ideas, but. Yeah. Or once you finish the film, walk away. That's the film. Move <laughs> yeah. on to other films. Don't keep coming back and tinkering. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I think this is still like even though I think some of its impact has perhaps blunted. I mean, I'd be fascinated to see how a modern how a Zoomer audience would would watch this, um, and how much they sort of relate to and get on board with. One, I I suspect more than I'd expect. Um, but um, yeah, so I think it's it, it's. It's uh, while it's blunted a little for for me, I I think it still endures in a lot of other ways. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's because we, I, you know, with like twist films? Not that it's exactly a twist film, but do you think that that might be the issue if you do have like a sort of slightly more lukewarm response to it? It's because it's not our first time watching it. I, I yeah, I think there's so much going on beyond the twist. Like I think, of course, yeah, it's, yeah, it's 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 a labyrinth to lose yourself in, and yeah, you, I don't think it's like a like a Shyamalan film. We like no, oh, no, coming, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm trying to work out like, yeah. what it was. I, I think it's a lot to do with the emo mood of it. I think it's a lot to do with and very those very kind of '90s tropes, and you know, the, like you said, a mopey lead who does the bare minimum. I think a lot. Of, I think that is a lot of it, and. You, and I think these days we're so awash in ridiculous conspiracies. I think that our tolerance level, certainly mine, for, for conspiracies. Is I don't know. I love I love the emo mood of it. I'm, yeah. I'm so into it. Not the conspiracies though. <laughs> Well, if you would like to lose yourself in the labyrinth of Donnie Darko, and I, and I think we all suggest you should, uh, it is now able to stream on SBS and Demand or to rent or buy on YouTube, Google Play, Apple TV, Microsoft Store, Fetch, and Amazon AU. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Triple R on FM, digital, online, and via the app. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Flick Ford, Sally Christie, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. So we are doing a Primal Screen spotlight on films that are Halloween without horror. So films that are set in or around the Halloween period, as we are in October and Halloween is approaching. Um, But, you know, a little bit different. Um, We love a horror film or two here, and don't worry, in a couple of weeks we will be having a Halloween horror special for the season, so never fear. But because Flick's such a scaredy cat, we decided (laughs) to have a week with Halloween without horror. Now, I appreciate it. (laughs) Hey, look, anything we could do to help. Uh, (laughs) So now, if you'd like to please join us by the electronic device of your choice for our second film. 
Hey, you ever taught anyone? No. Well, would you? Depend. On what? Reason. How's revenge? Daniel San, you look revenge that way. Start by digging to a grave. Well, at least I have company, right? The Karate Kid from 1984 was the 15th feature film directed by John G. Avildsen, who is best known for Rocky. Having moved cross-country from New Jersey to California with his mother, Daniel LaRusso, Ralph Macchio, is feeling displaced when he meets a girl, Ali, with an eye, uh, played by Elizabeth Shue, uh, who takes an interest in him. But immediately he runs afoul of her recently ex-boyfriend, Johnny, played by William Zabka, and his gang of bullies, all students of the local Cobra Kai uh, karate dojo, taught to show no mercy by their tyrannical sensei, John Kreese. Luckily, Daniel's apartment building houses a resident martial arts master, Mr. Miyagi, played by Pat Morita, who agrees to train Daniel and ends up teaching him much more than self-defense. Armed with his newfound confidence, skill, and wisdom, Daniel ultimately faces off against his tormentors. Flick, this may have been my pick for our Halloween without horror special, but something tells me you might have uh, some affection for this as well. Oh, absolutely. Actually, my whole family has affection for this film. We had a our VHS copy was completely destroyed by like regular rewatching. Oh, I thought you were about to say, oh, we had an All Valley Karate Championship. <laughs> we had that as well. Uh, yeah. We're all black belts. Actually, I've got a massive family, so that would totally work. We could have actually had tournaments. We probably did like unofficial tournaments, but um, probably weren't any good. Um, yeah, this... um. Uh, this was like the top rental in the year that I was born. So I feel like I was just like made to love this film. Um, I, um, yeah, I do love it. It's I, a, I really love sports films. So this is just right up my alley, but also it's, I, I have a real affection for, um, kids who actually look like kids and act like Mm. kids on screen. And, um, I think there's something really charming about um, Ralph uh, Macchio. Is that how you pronounce it? Macchio? Yeah, it's probably Macchio. Macchio. I've heard Macchio over the years, but it's probably ah, Macchio's probably. Yeah, he, he's fantastic in the role and it's kind of wild. He was 22 when this got made and he looks <laughs> about 10. Yep. He looks 15. He's, oh he's 22. Yeah, it's wild. Wow. But, uh, yeah, I feel like he and his mother are just like really interesting characters straight from the bat. Like I really, it was really enjoyable as someone who doesn't always watch many narrative focused films. It was really pleasurable just watching a very conventional narrative film and being like, this is really well done and really well communicated. I particularly thought like the standout for me was actually the way in which they gave like a history to Daniel and his mum, but through like gently over the movie and like this sense of um, the class difference between him and his his classmates and um, the way in which it's communicated. It's a really simple scene, but Daniel, you know, he's got this crush on Ali. He asks her out, and she actually, as a just as a side note, her as a girl character, she's awesome. She's really like forward. She's very communicative. She's very like. Um, upfront with what she wants she's got a great like girl gang surrounding her she's she's really good at soccer I don't know I just liked her as a character I thought she was really well-rounded and um even the bullies I was genuinely like worried for Daniel's life the scenes are really well done and 
they look so much bigger than him and it's kind of at an age when kids do sort of start to, you know, some develop quicker than others. So you do see these huge discrepancies. I think maybe um, her ex-boyfriend is maybe meant to be a few years older, um, but there's a real fear to that. And I remember reading somewhere that the scene in which um, they beat him up, and this is on Halloween where they're all in the costumes, um, and actually out of the three films, this is my favourite Halloween costume, the, like, skeleton um, Yeah outfit that's so iconic isn't it um i was just about to say hashtag iconic (laughs) totally it's so and i the scene apparently when they were first practicing it um apparently um they were were being it was too violent so they had to like pair it back because they were getting getting hurt and so um yeah i i think that the the violence in this is really well done and it's very believable and you he gets pretty badly beaten for a lot of the film and he, it's not a complete, like, success. I mean, like, the, you know, it's not like he just suddenly becomes amazing and, like, really ripped and, like, gets the girl and gets the car and everything like that. It's actually he still kind of remains pretty scrawny and he gets, like, really beaten and it's, like, more his perseverance. I, I'm such a softie for, like, any sort of training montage. And, <laughs> like, I just love this film. I can't say enough good things about it. It's um, such a joy to return to it. And it was nice just, like, especially when it's a nostalgic film to be, like, ah, oh, yeah still gives me the warm warm feels i had definitely obviously seen the karate kid when i was younger but it was one of those things where you feel like oh i I know all about this and re-watching it's like i don't remember hardly anything of this film i didn't even remember elizabeth shoe being in it so it was it kind of felt like a first time watch for me um one thing that really struck me about it was it was so brutal like (laughs) incredibly brutal that the the violence with him it was really full-on but um him as a character it's Danny isn't it yeah Danny. Yep. yeah Daniel with an L character I thought he was just so charismatic so I, I you know I really wanted to to see him overcome everything in the end and yeah he was had a real sweetness about him that just came through so well that I really loved um I'm also a big Rocky fan, so there's just the the director is there's these uh, long fight scenes because I don't necessarily love sport movies. I don't hate them. I don't love them. Um, they're just not usually my thing. But these kind of long sort of fight sequences were usually something that wouldn't draw my attention. But I, you know, they're just totally enthralling, especially this their final sequence to the Karate Kid and that incredible closing shot. <laughs> It's the greatest gif of all time. It's the greatest gif of all time. So good. The Miyagi nod. Yeah, the Miyagi nod. It's it's so it's so classic. But um, there was this kind of a, a, a thing that I noticed with eighties kids movies, where we have you know the mother sort of at the start, but then she kind of tends to fade out a little bit, and we see a similar thing happen in ET. That was my only real complaint is that I wanted her there more because she is such mm. a fascinating character, mm. and I love their relationship. I love that opening sequence where they were traveling from Jersey over to California, and um, you know her, you know, kind of giving that backstory. That yeah, her kind of dropping off throughout the film was a bit of a disappointment for me but yeah what a, what a fun movie and so much yeah so much more brutal than i remembered like <laughs> well it's funny i you know we all remember daniel being beaten up by the cobra kai crew in skeleton outfits which is again what when you mentioned this topic cell when you when you said this is what you wanted to do um halloween without horror there was this was instantly where my mind went 
because I just that image of those guys in those suits is so iconic. I haven't seen this since I was about 13 or 14 years old. Mm. <laughs> this was played at my grade six school camp, which is <laughs> <Just> hilarious. <laughs> um, so it was kind of a film I saw a lot. It was very iconic when I saw it as a kid. But then there's been these like 30-odd years where I haven't seen it at all. So, again, it feels like a first-time watch. And so we all remember that and the, you know, and the crane and sweep the leg at the All-Valley Karate Championship. The thing that makes this film really endure is just the, this genuinely lovely surrogate father-son relationship, the center yeah. of it, between it's- Daniel and Miyagi. And But the new sort of discovery for me was is how much this film is about toxic, toxic masculinity mm. and about de- deprogramming that. Yeah. And that Miyagi's whole thing is like deprogramming this young guy of his built up anger. Cause you know, he's angry because he's been moved away from home and moved away. And the great, one of the great things about the way LaRusso is written, but also about Ralph Macchio's performance is he has this very real teenage petulance. Yeah. And like, he's so and, cocky. Yeah. He's this cockiness, but also this anger and mm. this kind of nascent to- toxicity that, like, if, if we let it go, if he didn't meet a Miyagi, who knows where it might have ended up? There's, it's, it, I haven't seen the new, there's a YouTube premium slash Netflix show called Cobra Kai. I, like yeah. The update. And, you know, and it I'm has. I'm pretty keen it, to see it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I watched the trailer right. today. It would be fantastic. Yeah, I've heard it's really good. Yeah. Um, But there's, because there was a bit of a joke thing going on that Johnny is the, re, you know, there's a thing on YouTube, a video, like this guy saying that Johnny is the real hero of Karate Kid and that Daniel is the bully. And the, like Daniel starts everything, and Daniel's always picking on Johnny and getting in his face, and Johnny's trying to de-escalate, and then has to, and all this sort of stuff. But um, you know, while that is a, a comedic reading, there is something in that in terms of Daniel having anger in him as well as Johnny, and mm. and it's this thing of meeting Miyagi is something that centers him, and and that's the thing, Daniel. As we've said, Daniel's a nice kid. Like Daniel's mm. really sweet to adults. He's really good to his mom. He's really good, and yeah, I love their dynamic. But he just karate focuses him, and mm. you know his and his thing with Miyagi sort of gives him balance and gives him this sort of a bit this sort of discipline and inner peace that really helps him. Um, it's interesting that Daniel's two biggest allies outside of his mother, being Ali and Miyagi, see something that just in him that despite being a well-intentioned kid, he's too pissy and mixed up to see in himself, mm. and he. It, like, and I think one of the surprises about this film, as well as it being so much about that masculine side, and and you know, and how we can become good men and not toxic men, is that it's um, Daniel gets in his own way a lot more in this film than I remembered. Um, like the whole thing with the shower curtain, like the whole thing of the Halloween party when he douses uh, Johnny in water, like that was just completely unprovoked. Like, like that had been oh, like obviously they hadn't fought they for a while, <laughs> and it was like he didn't need. He could have just left well enough alone, and maybe he would have been okay. He wouldn't have had the snot kicked out of him by guys in skeleton suits. But I reckon that's like Danny's street <laughs> street style, you know? Like he's yeah. got those smarts about him. Where he's like, okay, this dude beat me up twice. I'm gonna get my comeuppance. He's got that kind of New Jersey cockiness. Mm. Yeah, um, I think it's a, you know, there's times it's a bit heavy on the pan flute and you know cliches about japanese americans and 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 i think there's a lot of boys that have taken the wrong message out of this film like things like fight club you know it's like they're more thinking more a bit about the fighting and the karate than miyagi's lessons which are really important even to today but the characters feel and the actors playing them especially pat morita just feel so individual and truthful like you referred to ali before being so 
um, such a good character. I completely agree. Like her, her independence and her take no shit attitude, Daniel's fear and teen petulance. Cause a lot of it is fear driven. You see, he's just so scared. One of um, Johnny's rigid control over his discipline, but he's barely controlled rage at the same time. Miyagi's easy warmth and wry outlook. And weird thing is that all four of them, even Johnny in the end, like are kind of decent people. It's just Johnny's perverted by mm. his sensei. And I think, one of the main messages to come out of this film is Miyagi's line is there is no bad student, only bad teacher. Mm. Apparently, and, um, apparently the actor, I forgot his name, who plays the Cobra Kai um, coach. What's his name? Martin Cove. Yeah, apparently he still gets people coming up to him on the street being like, I really don't like you. <laughs> yeah, after I finished watching it, I was just like, oh, my God, he's the biggest asshole. Like, I totally get that. Like, yeah. Well, he is John Kreese is the physical manifestation of toxic masculinity. Yes. Mm. Like it's it's all no mercy. You do this. There's no mm. second prize. There's no you know. And uh, he's the closest character the film has to a cartoon. I think like everyone else feels very lived in, and he feels very. But he makes such an impression, and Cove's performance is so good that it just um it it, it makes yeah it just really stays with you. Like I said, like you guys were saying, like you come out of it thinking, oh my god, that guy is just horrific. Mm. But yeah, I think there's um there's there's something really beautiful about the writing. And then you I've read that writer Robert Mark came and based Daniel, like partly based the film on his own experience mm. of moving to a new town and learning karate and and finding and and going to a sensei who was more John Creese like and deciding I don't want to no, I don't want this to be about violence, and mm. found a second sensei who was mentored by the real Miyagi. Like there's a there's a real uh, character named uh, uh, Miyagi, who um, was a sensei in Japan. Um, but, yeah, I think it's more than merely I, – I, coming into it, I thought, oh, it's a teenage Rocky, isn't it? But I think it's much more than that. I think it's really lovable and really involving and has, I think, you know, not to sound didactic, but messages that are still really important to young mm -hmm. men today. Absolutely. So The Karate Kid is now available to rent or buy via YouTube, Apple TV, Google Play, Microsoft Store, Fetch, Telstra TV, and Amazon AU. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Triple R. You're back with Primal Screen on Triple R with Sally Christie, Flick Ford, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. So if you'd like to now, please join us in the living room for our third and final film of the evening. Oh my God, I love your bracelet. Where did you get it? Oh, my mom made it for me. It's adorable. It's so fetch. What is fetch? Oh, it's like slang from England. So if you're from Africa, why are you white? Oh my God, Karen, you can't just ask people why they're white. Could you give us some privacy for like one second? Yeah, sure. Mean Girls from 2004 is the fourth feature film directed by Mark Waters. Raised in the African wild by her zoologist parents, Katie Heron, played by Lindsay Lohan, thinks she knows all about the survival of the fittest. But the lore of the jungle takes on a whole new meaning when the homeschooled 16-year-old enters high school for the first time. Trying to find her place between jocks, mathletes, and other subcultures, Katie is unwittingly adopted by the school's most fashionable clique, the Plastics led by the cool and calculating Regina George, played by Rachel McAdams. When Katie falls for Regina's ex-boyfriend, though, the Queen Bee is stung, and she schemes to destroy Katie's social future. Aided by her misfit friends Janice and Damien, Katie's own claws soon come out as they plan to ruin Regina from the inside out. 
But will her success go to Katie's head and turn the entire school ecosystem upside down? Flick, as your pick for our Hollywood uh, Halloween without horror spotlight, um, what about this film is so fetch? <laughs> um, Paul, stop trying to make fetch happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's slang from England. Apparently, so I looked into this. Tina Fey apparently came up with um, Fetch because she wanted to, um, she didn't want to use any actual current teenage slang. She wanted it to like add a, a timelessness to the film. And I feel like that totally translates as well. Um, and I think that, um, yeah, it's interesting. So this is a film that I actually, when I first saw it, I didn't actually like because it was in my first year of film school and I think I was only watching like serious cinema. Yeah, so when I first saw this, I was kind of just into very serious cinema and I kind of um, I think it was too close to finishing high school. Like I watched this and was kind of like maybe it was a bit too too soon to be watching a satire on high school. Um, <laughs> but I think it, it took me years later that and, and I think this is a real slow burn of a film in a weird way because I feel like it's it has remained kind of timeless because it's um, kind of a cutout um, sociological investigation of high school life, um, a very particular kind of high school life, like very Americanized, of course. But, um, yeah, I think it took me a while to actually get the humour behind it. And it sounds ridiculous, but, um, you know, I think Tina Fey wrote it with this idea of female empowerment. It's actually kind of critiquing a lot of the teen films that I thought I mistook it for. Um, it ha- kind of has this branding as, uh, you know, a mean girl and it actually is, uh, like, has a lot of heart to it. Um also has some amazing, like, really quick lines. It was a joy to watch this um, in a lot of ways. One thing I will say is that, and this is really perhaps a, um, a criticism of, of Tina Fey's brand of feminism, but I feel like it is, um, that you know, there is a lot to, to love in this, and I, I do genuinely, I took great pleasure in re-watching it, but um, I do think that her type of femi- feminism is very white, it's very straight, and it's very able feminism. And, you know, the school does, uh, something I noticed with rewatching it is it does seem strangely kind of segregated by race and ability. And I think some of the, the groups within it, some of the cliques are just like students with disabilities or students, like Vietnamese students sit over here. And I kind of, I don't know, I suppose there was that kind of disconnect for me on that level. Um, having said that, I think the wonderful pairing of like Rachel McAdams and Lindsay Lohan, who apparently like often seen as like the reverse, like Rachel McAdams is like this darling sweetheart and Lindsay obviously gets kind of cast as this bad girl. I really liked the reversal of that in this. Um, I, don't, yeah. I, think it's, I don't think it was a reversal at the time. I think it was I kind of what it was. And it's become yeah. that since. Yeah. Okay. In my yeah. head, I was just like, oh, yeah. switching around. Lindsay You're was right. Disney girl, you know, she's parent <laughs> trap and yeah 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 true friday just before this was her kind of big feature before this but um i only saw mean girls for the first time about two years ago and the script of the script is absolutely fantastic and it is really really funny i have i I feel this isn't just with mean girls it's with a lot of these uh female uh teen films across the board that you know I, i do quite enjoy like things like clueless and heathers and things like that where there's a lot of this popularity on it is based on wealth and that mm. really gives me the shits. It's what you were saying before, I guess, Paul, in regards to Karate Kid where young men are taking away the wrong message um, with, the karate kid, with the Karate Kid. I feel that that is often the same thing with um, films like Clueless or Mean Girls where 
they, they do have a message to them, but that's not what young women are taking away from these films. Um, having said that, though, I do think it is a highly entertaining film. And like I said, the script I think is great. I think it's really funny. Uh, I do agree with you, Flick, in regards to, I guess, its feminist statements towards the end seems insincere in some ways. Um, it seems almost a little bit tacked on and it it's looking specifically at girls being bitches mm. and not anything else to do with why that why that happens, why are girls bitches, why are they why are they cruel to each other, what's kind of big a bigger issue here, which I don't I don't know might be too <laughs> complex for a teen film. But yeah, that's kind of yeah. But I, I do I do really enjoy Mean Girls. It is a great film. Yeah, I've got to say, I I think there's some clever asides here and it's, I mean, the cast is ridiculous yeah. and they're all so, and they're all terrific. Um, I think, I think Lacey Chabert and Tim Meadows might be my favourites. Um, oh, how great is it as well? Like what a flashback is Party of Five. Um, I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, um, it's never landed for me. Even when I first saw it about 15 years ago, it just, I, I, I was a little bit underwhelmed by it. And, and, and coming back to it again, I felt, the same if not more so um there's a there's kind of a cartoonish broadness to it that and and a reliance on tropes that really just kind of it just distances me from the film i just don't believe anything for a second um mm. and i think it's interesting that you talk about that um that that you both mentioned like the the, the kind of the racial dynamics in this film but also um you know, the way high school works and the wealth and all that sort of thing. You've got a you've got a main character. Like I I maintain like the whole thing with like Katie being raised in Africa, the film does nothing with it. No, like, absolutely. Absolutely. Like it's purely a mechanical excuse to like how do we ha- how can we have a 16-year-old who has no idea how high school works and then put like you know no idea like she's never seen a high school movie. She's never seen high school. Like it seems like a very mechanical thing to get us to that point. Because I feel like if she's this individual thinker who's raised in Africa, why isn't it like the minute she gets to the school, it's like, why is everybody so white? Where's, where are all the people of color? Where is, what is this? Um, And her other thing would be, she'd be more critical of the plastics and more critical. And like, she's so easily seduced by them. Like she's very wide eyed and pliable. Like she's made to look quite naive. And I don't think she'd be that naive with zoologist parents. Like, I feel like she'd be really switched on. And I feel like the film misses a real trick with that. Um, Like, and I think it also welches out of the Genesean thing. Like I think they could have actually made her gay. And yeah, I I I, I think I, yeah, I think that again. Sorry to interrupt. There, yeah, 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 I, yeah. That's uh, something that I think is where the limitation of Tina Fey's feminism is, and that's why I take like an issue with that because I think mm. that yeah, there's a lot of like ways. Like I think it genuinely like is a very funny film in a lot of ways. Um, but I think that it just, it doesn't actually always go there. Like there's a lot of like ableist jokes in there. There's lots of like racist jokes in it. And so I think that it doesn't necessarily know what to do with it because is it is it interrogating it or is it just, you know, <laughs> repeating yeah. it? So, yeah, I think it doesn't always know what to do with it there. And i got to say too, I mean, if if you want to, I mean, I'm all cool with ripping off Cruel Intentions wholesale, but at least wait until <laughs> the body's cold. It was only five <laughs> years later. Uh, it's so different Paul (laughs) Uh, the burn book Um, yeah 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 yeah. that's more the thing and that revelation and the way that plays out is almost identical to cruel intentions I think though 
know that this, because I also didn't like it for those same reasons that I thought it was that kind of film, but I think that it's trying to make fun of that. Like it's trying to mm. satirize that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Maybe yeah. giving it too much credit, but I actually, I strangely like it the more it goes on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or maybe just like poor Gretchen Wieners's fetch. I'm not sure this film is ever going to happen for me. <laughs> That is a good joke, though. Um, Fetch, not my joke. Um, (laughs) So Mean Girls is now streaming on Netflix, Stan, and Amazon Prime and is available to rent or buy via YouTube, Apple TV, Google Play, Microsoft Store, Fetch, and Amazon AU. You are listening to Primal Screen with Flick Ford, Sally Christie, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. We reviewed Donnie Darko, now streaming on SBS On Demand, The Karate Kid, now streaming on Binge, Mean Girls, and all three films are available to rent or buy via YouTube, Google Play, Apple TV, the Microsoft Store, Fetch, and Amazon AU. You can also subscribe to the Primal Screen podcast via iTunes or wherever else you find your favourite podcasts. But please join us next week for our monthly spotlight on new releases, films coming directly to your home via streaming or rental platforms. Our social media channels will reveal the titles we'll be digging into, so search for Primal Screen on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and check them out this coming weekend. A huge thank you to Morty Osborne for editing the Primal Screen podcast, to Killer Carl Chapman for panelling and providing a producing assistance for our show. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 